Thank you for being here on this uh, very warm, sunny Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's only by grace that we are called. And we thank you, Father, that it's that grace alive in us, that Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that makes us vessels, precious vessels, seen by you, nurtured by you, grown by you. So, Father, we thank you that your wisdom now dwells in us, that your love strengthens us. And I pray you would use your speaker here today to take your word and let it land in people's hearts. May their ears hear what God is speaking and receive in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the theme for today's sermon is don't look back, move forward in God. I'll explain by what I mean to not look back, why it's dangerous to do so, what we can do to prevent ourselves from falling into it, and finally, what we can gain from not looking back. So what is it to look back? Let me begin by explaining what I mean about looking back. My first example would be that you turn your head to look behind, like when you're driving or when you're looking back because someone has called you. So really, it's just the movement of the head behind you, to see what's behind you, yeah? Yes. Secondly, we turn our whole body and we look back. So I'm going to show you an example of that. This is turning full circle. Now what's wrong with this scenario? Exactly. The pastor's on form today. You can see he's back, he's back on holiday. Yeah, that's the whole point. We can't see if we're facing the wrong way, what's the other way? What a lot of us do in life is that instead of glancing back to things in the past, we fix our gaze on them, like when we're turning around full circle. We let past experiences, normally painful ones, define who we are and how we deal with our situations. This might mean we're walking away from God or that we we start to stand completely still. Whilst we look back, we can't progress. As we might as we're held in fear or past disappointments or experiences. And that's not healthy, as we can't move forward. What we need to do is make sure we don't get hindered or frozen by our past experiences. Some biblical examples of those who did and did not let their past hinder them in their walk with God are these. Now, I'm sure there's many more in the Bible, but these are what I'm going to use to make my point today. So those who look back were Lot's wife, the famous story about Lot, and the Israelites. And those who didn't look back, going from Old Testament to New, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Peter, and Paul. If those who did not look back had let their past define them, they would have missed out and not be used to be the blessing and example for us to follow today by God's grace. Always look forward and upward to God. It's much better for you and those around you. Joseph was slowed into slavery by his brothers and wrongly imprisoned by being accused of rape from, the very, from his master's wife. But God exhorted him to be one of Egypt's most powerful men. Moses was a prince of Egypt who murdered an Egyptian, defending an Israelite, and it was the Israelite who dobbed him in. He left Egypt, his riches, and everything he knew under a cloud to become a shepherd and most say to learn some humility. But God called him to be a great task, which Moses was reluctant to take on. But God never makes mistakes, and Moses stepped up to become a great leader, 
and the Israelites' first spiritual shepherd. Sadly, in Moses' time, the Israelites were looking back at their Egyptian oppression, which hindered them from pressing into the future. Rahab was a prostitute, but her faith in God ensured she would be in the lineage of David and Jesus. Peter dramatically fell, but on Jesus' return, he had true revelation of who Jesus was and never looked back. When you've reached a point where God, with God, where you won't look back, you will always look to him. Church, I would encourage you not to live in the past. I reminisce as well, remembering looking back at the good times. But we can't be drawn to live in them. What we must do is focus on the now. We have the greatest impact on the here and now and what is to come. Those who are, those are the two things we should focus on because in doing that, we do not hold ourselves back in any way. But we look and hope for something better, putting our strength and focus in that, and God will be there with us. I'm really encouraged by the songs that we've heard today and the testimony from Carol, who doesn't even know what I was talking about. But they're all in line with what God is trying to say today. So we can't afford to look back, to cheapen what God has done and is doing for us. I myself have been hindered by looking back, mainly at failures, which can be just as dangerous as looking back at past successes and trying to constantly relive them. I had a bad experience with a previous employer, which I left in the end. This hindered me in my next job. I didn't feel I was up to the job, although I was more than qualified than I knew the job inside and out. But I had this insecurity in my heart thinking I did not want that thing to happen to me again because I was looking back. It took time to get over and asking God to deliver me from that mentality and emotions. I believe we have to be so careful not to fall into this trap. We have to be honest with ourselves to let it go and not let it hinder or rob us of what God has for us. God wants you to live without pains of the past. Our greatest battle in not looking back is ourselves. We argue so much with God. We must follow what God's word and the Holy Spirit says. As it says in the scriptures, God has written his words on our heart. The battle is not with God. The battle is with the enemy, who robs, lies, and deceives us. God just wants to love and care for us, and for us to love him unconditionally. He knows what's best for us, and we need to obey him. The Trinity not only support, encourage, and keep us strong, but they fight for us. If there's one thing I've learned from the Old Testament and the New, is that the Trinity are never inactive. They are always active in you, your life, and the lives of people around you. And they are fighting ahead of us, clearing things out before we even get there. So we are able to endure the battle. There's that classic bit in the Bible where you see the prayers. I can't remember which um, prophet it is. Was it Daniel? And it says that the angel was delayed because he was fighting through forces. And I believe that's the same with us. We may not see the battle, but there's a battle always constantly going on, and we are able to have the victory because they've cleared the way for us to be where we are. What we need to remember is that we need to fight with them, not against them. We cannot afford to give the enemy any ground. We are able to not only stand, fight, but also progress. And that is why we have to have the mindset of moving forward in God to gain ground for the kingdom, and doing what God has called us to do. So why is it dangerous for us to look back? 
I'd like to use an example of where you have a car that you've really loved and then you have to give it up. You leave that car and you convince yourself it's for the best as that car has had its day or it doesn't meet your current needs. But it's difficult sometimes to leave things that you're attached and used to and in some respects that you have grown to love. And to let it go is difficult. My first car was a Vauxhall Cavalier, a red Vauxhall Cavalier. Uh, I remember the number plate because I really did like that car. It's my father's car, it's not my car, but it became my car. Um, and I did, I was infatuated with this car, did all sorts of young foolish things that you do in a car. Um, but I had to give it up at some point. When I moved to Harlow, it just couldn't take the journey. And at one point, there was one journey, I came back from home because I worked in London, and the car was given up on the M11. And I'm thinking, <laughs> please, please, Lord Jesus, let me get home, let me get home. Um, and that was my uh, reality point, saying, this time, got to let it go now. Got to let it go. God teaches us that he always has something better for us, that sometimes some things are for a time, and we do have to move on. When God tells us to move on, we have to listen, or it might be detrimental to us and to others. Those who look back may not have an adequate fear of the Lord. Lot had to be pressed to follow God's angel's instructions to get his family out of Sodom. If you read the account in Genesis 19, verses 1 to 29, the angels have to literally pull him out of Sodom, even though he's been told what's going to happen. His wife and future son-in-laws paid the consequences for their disobedience and arrogance against God. As we know, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, and I'm sure the future son-in-laws were consumed by the fire that God rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Perceptions can hold us back if they are incorrect or unrealistic. We must ensure we trust God to give us eyes and hearts to discern what is true and what is not. The grass may look greener on the other side, but it may have unseen weeds and thorns you won't experience till you are there. I'm sure Joe knows that experience as a gardener. Look at the Lot and Sodom scenario. Lot chose the better-looking land when Abraham gave him the choice. Again, in Genesis, he, Abraham gave him the choice. Lot chose city life over being a shepherd which had prospered him and given him a peaceful life. When you look at Lot's life, when the angels turn up, it's not a good life. He's in the city, but he's probably one of the only men in the city who's actually upholding something of God. The only man. Don't let the enemy rob you of what God has for you. In life, if you saw someone stealing from you, you would stop them and send them packing, wouldn't you? Back in the day, people, the robbers used to be easy to spot. They'd have masks and the black and white top. Quite, quite easy to spot. But we allow the enemy to rob us of many precious things God lavishes on us. Our peace, his love, his joy, when we look back or we walk away from him. Don't be like the Israelites who kept looking back even after the Exodus. By the time Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, they were still looking back to Moses and Abraham when they should have been looking towards the Messiah. And because of this, they missed out. They even denied him as they kept looking for something from the past when they should have been looking for something new. That's not to say 
they should not have been looking back to signs. But when the fulfillment of those signs were right in front of them, they're so blinded by their own perceptions and preferences, they could not see. We must make sure not to fall into that mistake, or you will suffer for it. God always wants us to move forward in him. He doesn't want us to make the same mistakes over and over again, but for us to learn from them. Jesus came to save us being in that constant cycle to overcome. And once we are on his foundation, we can help others to be pulled onto the same rock we are a part of, our Lord, Saviour, Jesus Christ. So be encouraged, church. Don't look back. Look forward. Look to Jesus. Question. What if Jesus, when he was on earth, said to his father, I don't want to go back to heaven or face the cross. I want to settle down, have a wife, some kids, a home, and I want to stay with my friends doing the work of God. If he did, we would have been lost, and we would never have experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not look back. He could have done and just dwell on the miracles and works he had already done on earth, but he chose the cross for he looked forward to returning to the Father and providing our salvation. It was essential that he did all he did for us. Luke 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. How can we prevent ourselves looking back? This table represents where we were before we accepted Jesus into our hearts and where we are now. Jesus is the only bridge between your life and his life. It shows the transformation through him. So starting with this list before Jesus. This is what we faced. Sin and death. Darkness. Condemnation. We were lost and blind. We were unrighteous before him and an enemy of him. Unfaithful with no hope in bondage and foolish, unworthy, defeated, and a child of sin. All of that is truth, church. There's nothing untrue about those. Jesus becomes your bridge, and only Jesus. And after Jesus, you have salvation and eternal life. Light in your heart, redeemed and found by him, able to see and righteous, a friend of God who is justified before God, faithful with abundant hope, with freedom and deliverance, now wise and worthy, victorious, and a child of God. Hallelujah, In all of these, even before Jesus called us, we were loved and cared for by the Trinity, and this love continues to this day and forevermore. A quote from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Christians, do, you, do not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Transformation in Jesus requires us to look up to him and not look back. We look to our future, our hope and our joy in him. We have victory in him in this life and the life to come. When we start to understand God does everything out of his great love for us, it brings such great freedom and joy. We never want to go back to what we had or what we were. Jesus came to help us, not hinder us. We must change our thinking and hearts to accept this truth. Paul is a great example of not looking back. He was in prison, beaten, shipwrecked, but never looked back. 
He never denied Jesus or went back to being a Pharisee. Being a Pharisee was, very, um, was a very important position. I think lots of people don't recognize that with Paul. He gave up a lifestyle. Complete. He had been trained from birth to be a Pharisee. And then the Pharisee's position in, in that current day society was very highly esteemed. But he walked away from it. Even rejection from the very people he was supposed to teach. So Paul did quite, he left a lot behind to become the apostle. He never gave up for he knew the consequences for people's souls and their final outcome. He would not give up the fight to show God's light and share the good news in this world. We must not linger or focus on what we were, either positive or negative. We must focus on what God is changing us to become and made us to be in him. We find our identity and life in him and his love for us and those around us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Don't look back at what you were and cheapen the glorious, abundantly blessed position and privilege we have in Christ Jesus. Don't settle for rags when we have God's glorious grace and richness within us and around us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I would like him moving forward with God with Paul's missionary journeys. Some brought great joy and encouragement. Some brought challenges and lessons to be learned. But in all this, Paul remained faithful to God's will and purposes and desired nothing more but to please the one who had saved, transformed and forgiven him for what he was and had done. A quote from Warren Wiersbe, I think that's how you pronounce it. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we must be on our guard at all times. We are in a fight and our stance physically, mentally and spiritually needs to reflect this. Don't be an easy target for the enemy. Don't move closer to them and don't open your arms to him and let him do what he wants. When I say open arms, I'm saying invite him. Say, come. That's what I mean by open arms. Some of us do that. We might not want to admit it, but we do do it. What we need to do is put your hands up to fight and gird yourself for the battle with God by your side. When I say get your hands up, I mean like this. Yeah? Like a boxer would. David preached on it way back, a few months ago, I remember. You've got to be like this with a fighter. The fighter's always on, they're on the front foot. Yeah? You never see a, a boxer like this. If they're like this, they're in trouble because you can see the balance is off. They're always on the front foot. You should be forward in a fight, not back. That's the mentality we as Christians need to have. Be on the front foot, church, not the back foot. Keep your defenses up. Know his word, pray, and keep his commandments. Showing his love, his grace, and mercy to others as God has to you. And when you fall or tire, go back to God and seek his strength. Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust, and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. 
We are in a fight not to look back. We are in a fight with the world who neither likes us nor understands us. But most importantly, we are in a fight with ourselves against the Holy Spirit a lot of the time. Other people would get fed up and leave us, but not God. The Trinity never give up on us. We must learn to stop fighting them and cooperate with them. This is good for us and so much better for the people around us. God is training us for his glory. It took me a long time to learn that when I experienced trials and troubles, this was training and stretching me for his glory. The person I was could not reflect or live for his glory, but the person he is transforming into the likeness of his son can and will reflect his glory. Put the old person to rest. Let the new person thrive in the presence and the power of the Lord. Let his light shine through you and transform you from the inside out. No longer an enemy of God, but a friend, a child of the Most High God. How precious is the love God shows us. We can't look back at the old person who was trapped in death and sin. We must focus and strive to be the new person in Christ, for the new person is free and has life abundantly through the love and power of God. To God be the glory. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our new life in Jesus will have its trials and troubles, and we may get discouraged sometimes. This is only natural, because we are in the battle constantly, and we do get weary. That's a reality check, church. It took me years to get that in my head. I'm in a battle constantly. Yeah? Pastor David and I have just come back from holiday. It's lovely. You go on holiday, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to cook, you don't have to do the washing up. It's lovely, but it's not realistic. It's not life, is it? Because you come back and life starts again. At least we get a break. But it's like getting, um, I don't know what the army term is, when they get um, time off. Furlough. And they really they take, you appreciate those times because those might be the only time when the madness stops. Madness, you might have a bad holiday and madness might continue, but hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully you have a holiday where the madness stops. You get a break. But you have to realise, church, you're in a battle. Yes. You're in a battle. It doesn't stop. You signed up for it. When you said yes to Jesus, you signed up for it. So you have to get used to that. Do I waver? Yes. Do I get weary? Yes. But remember, we are eternally gods once we accept his precious gift of salvation and we live our life for his glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Another quote from C.S. Lewis, but this time from The Last Battle. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is from the last book in the Narnia series, which showed parallels to the Christian life. The Bible, the word of God, starts with God's creation and everything is good. It ends with God fulfilling the restoration of his creation and everything is good, even better than what had been before with a new heaven and earth 
and his kingdom fully established. So, are most people are familiar of the Narnia series, C.S. Lewis's books. They did those films the other day. And this is his last book, The Last Battle. They haven't done a film of it. But this statement is really crucial in our Christian walk that we haven't got a clue what's yet to come. The best yet is to come. Now, this is good living. We, we, yeah, we have our bumps, but this is good living. From what we were like before God to now, we got God, this is good living. But there's better to come. And we haven't even seen it, don't even know it. But I I've, know I've with all those great leaders that we see in the Bible, Moses, all that time he spent in the presence of God, yeah, he didn't step foot in the promised land, but just imagine what God was showing him in his presence. He might have seen heaven. He might have seen way beyond what the promised lands were like. And I bet you he was more encouraged to look for that than the promised lands that he couldn't get into. Yeah? And the same for us. If we have that mentality, the best is still to come, you're going to look forward to it. It's like waiting for a good holiday, isn't it? You put the money down, you hope the airlines are running on that day. They're not in a minute, but you hope the airlines are running on that day. But you're expecting a good holiday, aren't you? You want the best, don't you? And it's like that with the Christian walk. The best is yet to come. We haven't seen the best yet. Revelations 21, verses 4 to 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he, that's God, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Knowing this, why would you want to go back to a poor, unhealthy, eternal suffering option if you could help it? And why would you want those you love and care for experience it? Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't let your past or your mistakes hold you back. Learn from them, grow from them, and let God help you deal with them so you are free to move on in all that he has for you. When we are trying to leave behind past mistakes or worries sometimes, it's hard for us to let someone love us as we don't feel we, do, we deserve that love. I think this is one of our greatest hindrances for some believers in allowing God to love them, let alone love themselves. His love is so much greater than ours, even when we commit everything in our heart and life to him. In loving God, allow yourself to be loved. He loves you. Don't reject his love. Receive his love. Not looking back is a challenge for many of us. It's so much easier for us to stay where we are than to try and move to something new, unknown, or that takes us out of our comfort zone. But it was easy, but if it was easy or not beyond our own abilities, we would not need God or his help to get through them. We would miss out on our great on great challenges and opportunities when God brings these to us, for it's only when we are stretched that we learn to grow in God and what he has for us and others. Joe spoke about Gideon some weeks ago. He was not the great warrior God called him right at the beginning, but he would become this in God. We need to take off the labels we put on ourselves. 
Gideon had to get over some of his to lead God's people. God compassionately walked with Gideon to overcome them and to teach him to trust God, as Judge Judge chapter 6 reflects. He started Gideon with removing the pagan idols in his village. Gideon knew there'd be consequences from his people, so he did it at night. But he had the courage to gather a group of men to do it. God had already started to work in him. And even though he did it at night, he was still exposed as the culprit. But as God had told him previously, no one would touch him. He grew in faith and confidence and rallied the people together to defend against the Midianites. But he was still uncertain of himself and maybe God. And so the famous testing with the fleece occurs. God remains patient with Gideon. He never changes his mind or his plan, despite Gideon's doubts or fears, but allows him to show his great power and authority in our lives and our situations. But remember, church, he does these works for his glory and not ours. So don't test him. He will answer you sometimes, but don't test him. But our gracious and wonderful God does does allow us to enjoy his victories with him, and some become beacons of hope for others. Moving forward with God helps you conquer your insecurities. To overcome the external battles we, must, we will face, we need to overcome the internal battles in our hearts and our minds. If God can use a timid, scrawny weakling like Gideon to not only defeat a powerful oppressor, but to lead a nation, what could he do with us if we trusted him and kept our hearts and minds filled with him? Jesus will guide you through all things. He gives better advice than Siri, Bixby, or Google. And he never steers you wrong or misguides you. He will constantly guide you if you accept his invitation to allow him to be your saviour, to help you deal with life's ups and downs, to have a hope and a peace no one or no situation can ever take away from you, to be loved and to be cared for the rest of your life, to start living in God's kingdom here on earth for his glory. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus commands us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in everything we do, in our thoughts, words, actions, hopes, and dreams. This ensures we don't turn back to harmful ways and stay on course with God. Acts 10, verses 1 to 2. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now this man, Cornelius, he hadn't been baptised. He's the one that Peter gets called to go and pray over. When Peter sees the animals that were deemed unclean by Jewish practices. So he was a Roman a Gentile, yet obviously God was, God's hand was upon this man's life and he was expressing it outwardly. God's righteousness is inward working and outward working. It is a sign of God's spirit dwelling in you. Prayer is also a sign. So finally, what do we gain from not looking back? Before repenting and Jesus' salvation cleansed us from our sins, We were storing up God's wrath against us. Now by his love, he turns away his deserved wrath from us and provides his spirit, grace, and righteousness 
to ensure we remain acceptable to him and can dwell in his presence. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and we will forgive our sins and cleanse, and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. Anyone been on a plane? I know Pastor David's just come back. I know he's been on a plane. But anyone else has been on a plane? Yeah. yeah? We know the experience? Yeah. Good. I, I experienced the, um, I can't remember the airline now, the Ryanair experience. It wasn't too bad, anyway. <laughs> While you're on it, it feels like you're moving so slowly, doesn't it? You look out the window and the clouds are just... Mm. But in, in reality, you're moving at hundreds of miles an hour. I looked this one up. You're moving between 460 and 575 miles an hour. That's quick. <laughs> Life can feel that way. Like we are moving in slow motion. But in reality, we are moving so much more than we realise. Growth in Jesus is like that. And you don't realise how far you have come till you see how much God has changed you from what you were. I was a late bloomer and matured a bit slower than others. June may argue I still have a lot more growing up to do. But that's another story. The point I'm trying to make is as we mature and our understanding grows, we truly grasp something. We never lose that understanding. As a husband, you learn not to upset your wife because their memories are extraordinary in recounting these events. <laughs> it's the same with knowing God. Once you truly know him and understand everything he did for us, you never want anything or anyone else. Hebrews twelve eleven. For the time being... No discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. And from this point onwards, you want everything in your life to fall in line with God. And God helps us through the leadings of the Holy Spirit and the teachings of the Father through Jesus to help us achieve this goal and prepare us for eternity with him. From this point, there is no turning back, let alone a desire to turn away. He becomes our foundation, our rock, and source for all things. Luke 16, verses 19 to 23. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, I've shortened that. There's more to that story. And just to clarify, this Lazarus that has been spoken about here is not the same Lazarus that was Jesus' friend who died and was resurrected. In Luke 16, we see the story of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. The name Lazarus in Hebrew means God has helped. In this, we see the different destinations each man takes when they die. Lazarus may have, been, may have died poor and destitute, but his hope was in God, and he passed into paradise on his death 
while the rich man fell into torment and regret. We all reminisce about the old days and a lot of the time think they were the best times we had. We normally just remember the best bits and forget the not-so-good bits we had as well. I remember John Glass preaching the best is yet to come, and he is right. That can happen now for us, but even more so when Jesus returns. Nothing can be better than that day when his kingdom will be fully in place and we, his children, will be living in his full and glorious presence. Acts 9, verses 1 to 9. Sorry. I'll skip something. Not looking back is about transformation in Jesus. Now I'm going to look at Paul's transformation in Acts 9 verses 1 to 9. But Saul, still breathing threats, this is Paul before he became Paul, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to, into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I asked myself, why did Jesus blind him for three days? And what was Paul doing during those days? Jesus could have filled him with the Holy Spirit straight away. I think he ministered to Paul during that time, as he realized what he had done against God, and through the understandings he had got from the teachings of the Pharisee, the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus turns Paul around, Paul's life around completely from terrible persecutor of his children to great apostle and teacher of his children. Paul's transformation highlights we as believers will endure suffering for Jesus' name. We see it with many Old Testament prophets, the disciples, Paul himself, and the ultimate example is Jesus. Paul would be used to impact the world about Jesus. His zealousness to destroy Christianity became a zealousness to share the good news of Jesus. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Once Paul received the Holy Spirit, he went straight out to preach the gospel. His transformation again was a confirmation and a sign to the Jews that Jesus is who he said he is. He used the Pharisee of Pharisees to preach his gospel. Paul is reminded sometimes of his past. The church didn't really take kindly to him right at the beginning. They were fearful of him. Even the man that was supposed to pray for him to give him back his sight didn't want to go. So he always had that stigma. But Paul didn't look back. He always looked at what Jesus had asked and called him to do. We as believers need to do the same. As a leader, I take joy in seeing the church grow in maturity, love and understanding and seeing a growing mature believer is the ultimate goal. In God, we all grow differently, just like in life. Some of us will grow tall, some not so tall. Some of us will be slim, and some of us will be not too slim. Don't, don't see this. This is... <laughs> but 
but we must grow. God wants us to grow, and the only way to grow in God is to ensure we look forward and not back. Not looking back lets God redefine you according to his will and purposes. Even as believers, we get comfortable, and God shakes us up to prepare us for new challenges. Not looking back ensures you are expectant for the works of God and the return of Jesus. Your focus will be on God's ways and will. And what the Holy Spirit instills in believers brings great fruit for others to benefit from. We have the greatest teachers ever through the Trinity and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Allow them to teach you and stretch you into the child of God you are destined to be and God sees every time he looks at you. When we look back, the things we used to take on in the past, we no longer take on. Do you understand what I mean by that? The things that were important to us are no longer important to us. We don't put weight or importance on the old things, but we realign ourselves more with what is important to God. Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we move forward in God, he fills that God-shaped hole in us, taking away the emptiness we felt before we met him. That emptiness was us seeking and needing him because we are all made to want to know and love our God. And we are never whole until we receive his love in us. A quote from Augustine of Hippo. This is one of the early church fathers who has really helped shape the theology that we use today. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We must put down past failures, past hurts, even past victories, because God has even more victories for us if we would look forward in him, if we would grow in him into the person he has called us to be. Those God calls to himself, he calls for a purpose. He prepares us for his will, his works, and for his pleasure to show his kingdom works and his great grace and mercy towards his great creation. God created us to be relational to one another and experience emotions. Now men, yes, we do have emotions. We do have to express them. It's not... We can, we can use the English language to express ourselves. I think the most powerful emotion we have is needing to know we are loved and that we matter to someone. Moving forward with God confirms this and allows us to experience the best relationship with God, with his children, and those around us. We were created to relate to God as our Lord, and we remain restless until we do, and become what we were meant to be. There is more to life than we see now. We all hope for something better. Some key questions in life, such as, who am I? What is the point of life? How can I make a difference? Won't be answered by looking back, but can be answered by looking and moving forward in Jesus. Amen. For me, when you stop looking back, you begin to give everything to Jesus. It's a key moment you say, I don't want the things of the world. All my desires, all my passions, all my direction is for the Lord. So church, you're not looking back and moving forward in God he frees us from our past hurts and disappointments. 
He releases us from our past sin, shame and guilt. And he sets our feet on his firm foundation, showing us continually his great love and forgiveness for us. He makes us new and we need to be God's light in this world. So Jesus' love, grace and mercy can be seen and bring hope for the future for every generation. We need to look to him alone and away from past hindrances and grow into the person God has called us to be in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to close in prayer, but I hope someone is encouraged. For me, God's speaking. God's been speaking for the last month or so now through different speakers in different ways, but the message is still the same. Who are you in God? Who are you in God? You have to be certain. Do you know who you are? Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know how God sees you? I think that's what we need to keep in our hearts. Because sometimes what we see is not what God sees. And we need to bring ourselves in line with that. So despite your challenges, despite your hurts, despite whatever life throws at you, God is still God. God is still good. You're still a child of God. All those things, none of those change. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the message. I pray, Father, that hearts have received what you meant to be spoken through in these words. And Lord, encourage us. Encourage us for the challenges and the battles that will come our way. And help us to be joyful in what we have been given. Help us to be good stewards of what you've placed in our hands and in the hands of those people around us. And we pray by your grace and mercy we glorify you in all that we do, not just today, but in every day that we walk with you. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen.